DBN Network. Browns fans talking to Browns fans. And welcome in. Greetings, Ben Disiones, and thank you for being with me. My name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on the DBN Network, and I'm happy to say hello to you for the first time here in 2018, and it's uh, the first time that... uh, Actually, no, it's not the first time uh, I think that uh, we... Because the final game of the year was uh, the first uh, day of the year, right? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know if it's the first time or not, but it's. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain it's the first uh, genuine... Well, it's the first off-season program of um of 2018 and uh i'm happy to be speaking with you happy to for to have you listening uh, to me that means that i, I haven't uh <laughs> you know the last time that we, that we got together i um, you know I, I was i was i was angry and the last time that we got together was the uh, after the pittsburgh game that uh, ended our ignominious o and 16 campaign and that's you know the reason why it's been I got to tell you, I, I I've not avoided like you know the chows and stuff because that's like you know it's like milk, <laughs> but uh, you know the uh, um, just the the heavy, um, intense you know in- involvement with the team. I had to just I had I kind of had to separate for for a bit. I mean just j- just a couple of weeks just to um, just to kind of. I mean, I've also been busy in my in my you know my actual life and so on. But I, I, I'm just saying the uh, the whole everything about uh, you know what what is uh, what went on. I mean, what what this last year was. I, I got to tell you, it was um, and and what got me thinking about it was starting to um, write the Sunday piece. Which you know, again, sorry if for those of you that actually liked those when I was doing them on a more regular basis. But it's the same thing. And I mean, I don't. And and look at you are free to judge me as you know, characterally, if that's a word, uh, morally, whatever. You, you, you can call me weak if you want to. Uh, but I just had I, this whole experience. 1-15, I, I could deal with. If we would have won, you know, the first game of the year and just kept losing and losing, I would have been fine. I would have been. But, but the whole dreading, uh, two years in a row. I mean, the thing, two years we go through this. Are we going to go 0-16? Are we going to go And in the first year, we just barely avoid it. And then the next year, you see this slow... And in a way, of course, the way that it went down. Because the final couple of games, we actually, you know, we have a chance. And uh, especially in, you know, in, that, in that Pittsburgh game. And to see this slow-moving, you know, just, you know, <laughs> darkness, uh, you know... It, it was it was tough. It was very tough. That Owen sixteen is, you know, it's that's that's tough. That that one was very difficult to take. Not to say that one in fifteen was a walk in the park, but but it was just I, I could deal with it. Three and thirteen, I could deal with that. Uh, one in fifteen, I guess, I could deal with a lot easier than three and thirteen because I expected it after the three and thirteen campaign of Mike Petton and Ray Farmer and the the blow up that. You know that I mean, as soon as we uh, fired those guys and brought in Sashi and then Paul De Podesta and subsequently Hugh Jackson, you knew that it was going to be a full-on blow up, a blow up. And I knew and told everybody, anybody that would listen to me, and of course, 
Um, I, I wasn't the only one, but the it was it was therefore about to go really 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 bad like these last two years from a you know in many ways are not you know it's not what i uh i'm not surprised by it is what i should say i expected it i knew that what because it was easy to understand it doesn't have anything to do with the prowess of uh sashi brown the erstwhile uh, uh vice president of executive football operations that or vice executive executive vice president of uh, operations of operational fo- whatever he was, he was the uh, effectively the GM for this ball club for uh, less than two years and is really responsible for the roster that is currently in place. A roster that is going to be well, I would say rather uh, I would expect anyway rather um, you know significantly altered. As we approach the off season, I would say much to the delight of a lot of uh, uh, you know people that are are uh, out there in in the fandom, certainly on the threads. You as well, probably, maybe I don't know. Um, I, I'm you know I'm not really uh, looking forward to the prospect of, and we'll get into this. What what uh, new GM John Dorsey is gonna you know the amount of the spending spree that's gonna probably happen on the first day of free agency. But um, we, you know we're gonna see what happens. I guess it would depend uh, on the scenarios that you know that could play out, but I'm just saying that I, I kind of expect that a lot of the money that we've we've been able to put aside the last couple of years because of the whole the whole moneyball thing that we were doing there with uh, with Sashi and crew. I, I'm yeah I, I'm I'm just I'm I'm dreading to see you know if, if we're going to end up you know making moves just to make moves you know what I mean like we're or if if it really is the case that players uh, you know are are hell-bent on avoiding Cleveland for obvious reasons that uh, that we would have to, you know, like way swing way, you know, over the fences in order to uh, attract them to come here. I don't know how, how true that is. I do know that we've got, you know, more cap, you know, ammunition to go after whoever we want, and we really haven't done that. Uh, we did that a little bit last year with uh, Kevin Zeitler and Kenny Britt, who's already gone. And re-signing Batonio after we had already re-signed Kirksey and uh, Jamie Collins. All that happened in the last offseason. But really, there weren't any other. Jason McCourty was really the only other free agent, and he came after the draft. He was a late free agent uh, arrival from Tennessee. And, you know, honestly, uh, anybody want to argue with this? Probably the best free agent signing we've had in the last decade. Who's better? Who's a better free agent signing than Jason McCourty in the last Decade, the last ten, go back to two thousand and seven. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, just racking my brain here. Maybe, maybe something will come to me as I'm going along here. And I'll, I mean, Paul Kruger, you know, Desmond Bryant. He, he was, I mean, I guess Bryant had uh, was around for longer. I mean, Kruger was around for longer, but I don't think Kruger in any of his seasons or in the cumulative the seasons that he was there, even though he plays at a more uh, impactful position, <clears throat> I don't think that he's as good as McCordy was in his one year. I mean, McCourty was, you know, all pro level for for much of the season. At any rate, um, that was effectively the the activity in last year's uh, off season. And that brings us to where we are right now, and I think there's a, a large expectation that we're going to go out there and make a splash to try to get some people. And what I'm what I'm suggesting is that maybe we 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 do that, but we end up getting guys that. 
uh, that we're not really targeted. That isn't the number one, number two, number three. You know, we're down to like number six, seven on our list, on our wish list, and we're still overpaying for the guy. But because we need to make a splash, because we need to make a big deal out of the fact that you know we're we're turning this around and you know play like a brown and all this you know rah rah BS whatever that <clears throat> that we go out and do something like that at and it, it just to do it. Which at once, two two things wrong with that is there's no reason after we've accumulated all of this cap space just to burn it. I mean, the reason that you do it is so that way you can roll over as much as possible. I mean, get guys. I'm look at. I'm all for. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for spending money in free agency to get quality players. There's a lot of quality players that are available. There's also usually a bunch of jags that are available uh, when <clears throat> when when you get to free agency time. There's usually a bunch of guys that are overpriced, that don't deliver, and even the guys that are, you know, upper echelon, you know, Kruger, when the year that we got him, he was the, the, the best, at, well, he was the most highly touted, uh, I think I've used that word, that, that phrase twice now in, in, the, in, in this program, and I don't think I've ever used it before in any program previous. At, at any rate, he, he was the, you know, the, the biggest marquee edge rusher available in that 2013 uh, free agency pool. And I remember actually watching like the NFL Network, and it was like counting down to free agency, and there was like cameras on the Kruger house, and it was it was like a big deal that we got him. Eh, you know, he, he was okay. Yeah, he was all right. I, I I didn't miss him when we cut him. Desmond Bryan was was a better player, I think, for a longer period of time, and he was probably the mark the the best like defensive interior player actually he was probably the best interior and and maybe not the highest rated of that year i don't know who else was out there but you know point, I, what, what i'm saying is that um we haven't had a whole lot of success you know, for, in the first place with uh free agents over the years what's i mean like sheldon brown he came over he was really good for us a cornerback played for the eagles for a long time uh, we've had a couple of hits, but I'm just saying there's it's it's not really the way to build your roster. But at, at the same time, like there's not, and I don't have the list in front of me, but there's not a, an enormous amount of uh, safety help, for example. But I would almost go get you know a Jordan Poyer, Ed Reynolds type, you know, and, and you could probably argue about the disparity of, of quality between those two players. I'm just saying somebody in that somebody within that range, whatever you wherever you think Jordan uh, uh, Poyer and Ed Reynolds are on the spectrum of ability to play free safety for us what how i will take the top and bottom uh, in everywhere in between of that range of a guy and it probably will be an upgrade over what we had back there last year it was that bad but then again a lot of this is is hopeful hoping that uh, that peppers can get it together to play something i don't even know what you know, linebacker I, I i'm not even sure you know and i've i don't want to be too hard on the kid but you know maybe you know halfback i mean we're probably gonna let crowell go uh, so you know, maybe yeah, maybe throw. I mean, that was the idea when we drafted him is that he could return. And they were, you know, there was ideas that maybe they play him on offense. So yeah, um, he probably you know, he probably wouldn't do worse. It was bad. It was it was pretty bad. It was really bad. It was. You watch the tape; it's really bad. And I, you know, I'd, I'd like to say, hey, give him. T- I, I'm I'm Mister Three Years. I, I, I would hope that that would. You know, <laughs> I would hope that. See, I've always said that there are exceptions to the rule when it comes to the whole three-year thing, and mostly that's been when talking about good players. Like I'm, I'm ready to say right now that Carson Wentz is an elite quarterback right now. Uh, probably will be for a long time on a trajectory to ha- be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I've got no problem saying that right now about Carson Wentz. Now I could. 
Um, th- that could change. <laughs> you know, I, I could, I, you know, that I could totally change my mind on that if, if over the next couple of years, you know. But I, at the same time, I don't have anywhere near that same level of confidence talking about somebody like Jared Goff. Or certainly, you know, any of the guys this year, Mitch Trubisky or or Deshaun Watson, or even the guy that I loved last year, uh, Pat Mahomey, or whoever. I mean, guys that are I have I have probably more confidence in. Uh, I definitely have more confidence in somebody like Carson Wentz than I do somebody like Marcus Mariota. Uh, probably about the same level of confidence that I have in Jameis Winston, who I still think is going to be a stud, uh, even though he had kind of a rough year, shoulder injury, all that. But you know. Uh, I'm just saying, there are exceptions, but Winston's been in the league for, for over three years. Wentz has been in the league for two years. Usually, the three-year rule exception is the exceptional circumstance are players that are better, and you can kind of gauge and tell that they're better inside of that you know that, that three-year window that, that I've always talked about. And the reason I've always talked about that, for re- refresher, um, if, or maybe I've never talked about it before on the program, I don't know. But for me, it's about the, the notion... You know, first year, a rookie year for anybody, you just can't. I don't. I just don't think that it's fair on balance. Okay, now again, there are exceptions to this, but on balance, that means generally, most players aren't. You know, either really good or really bad. That makes them average, right? I mean, you're just talking about you know law of averages. So within that, um, generally speaking, you're not really going to get a, a great handle on what a guy can do looking just at his rookie season. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to get nothing out of it. You're certainly going to be able to tell some things. But you really – and then you also could figure if a guy, because he's a rookie, is playing behind a veteran, you don't really get to see him all that much. And when he is on the field, it's his first time on the field, so maybe he doesn't do so well. I'm just saying, it's not a good gauge uh, in the rookie season. Um, asterisk, asterisk. But – um, if there's also uh, injury, you know, a guy gets injured in his first or second year, or if there's um, uh, you know heavy competition at a position group that causes him not to be able to to get reps. What I'm saying is that, or uh, coaching turnover or scheme change or whatever, I'm saying that by and large, generally speaking, as it averages out over time, considering all factors and not exclusive of any of them, and as I say, with exceptions three years gives you enough time to pretty well cover all of that variable stuff it it basically gives you that after three years you'll be able to tell okay this guy's got an injury problem or he had an injury his first year but he's been okay so that probably you feel pretty good it's probably been you know probably was a fluky type situation Uh, or he was really really great his rookie year robert griffin but then two years after that, yeah, you know what? Um, we, well, you know, we, we got we, it, it doesn't it doesn't look nearly as good, uh, you know, with with a little bit more. So I'm just saying, with with it, it just tends to work out that way, and that's why I generally hold to the principle that you should give a given player or draft class three years before rendering a final verdict on whether or not they are going to be good great decent bad poor average above average below average or just you know lousy players and and anything that i missed you know what i'm saying i mean like within and and look there are exceptions to that even there are some players for which you really you know you need a fourth year for some reason Uh, quarterbacks tend to be uh like that it just takes more time to develop in the NFL uh, at that position. The quarterback position takes longer to develop at the NFL level than the other position, and it just takes a long time to develop at the NFL level. And that's the other thing is that development time varies from person to person. That was one thing that Ray Farmer was right about. And 
having said that, three years' time should be about enough time that you need to develop to get to the level that you're going to get to. Some guys are able to. Some guys come in, you know, they make the jump from college to the pros within the off season of you know their senior year, or their their junior year, their co- their last year in college to their first year in the NFL. Some guys just can do that. Some guys just you know fall on their face, and it takes them one or two or as I say three years. After that, I you know generally speaking, again, all of this is generally speaking. I think I've thrown enough caveats in there to because and part of the reason why is because every time I brought this up, you're like, whoa, and they'll bring up all these specific examples about why it's so. T- and I'm like, look, I get it. It doesn't. It's not for not everybody falls under the three year rubric. But I'm just saying generally, and of course by my, ex- my, my by my clarifying it and my explaining it, I am just inviting people to give me more hell over, which of course I love, but. You can you can tell whether or not a guy is going to get to the level that you thought he was going to get to when you drafted him, or if he's probably not, or if he if he's not going to get to that level, or he won't quite reach that level, but he might be a guy that could be serviceable doing you know something else. So, generally speaking, and really specifically uh, with with respect to the Browns, because of course I care about the Browns more than I care about any other team, I do tend to hold to this more so than I would in a conventional sense because we also have the coaching turnover paradigm. For the first time, for the first time, this is actually something that we can say. And if you would have told me a year ago that I could be able to say this, in fact, I probably said a year ago that if I would be able to say this a year later, that I'd be really, really happy with where we are. Unfortunately, I am saying this, and I'm not really, really happy with where we are in this regard, and that is Hugh Jackson's the first coach to reach his third year since, do you remember? Do you remember who the last, it was Romeo Cornell. Romeo Cornell was hired in 2005. He went 6 and 10 his rookie year. He went 4 and 12 his second year, and then we went 10 and 6 his third year. The last time that a Browns coach had a third year, he went 10 and 6. Now the year the, the time before then that we had a Browns coach reach his third year was Butch Davis, and that year he went 5 and 11. The year before the time before that that we had a coach reach their uh, third year was Bill Belichick in 1993 and the Browns went 7 and 9 that year. And then the time before that was uh Marty and I'm I'm almost positive we went to the AFC Championship game that year. At any rate, it's rare that Browns coaches make it to and we've had a lot of coaches over that period of time. So it's you know, it is a noteworthy thing that we are going into now, the third year of Hugh Jackson. But, you know, the thing is, is that the reason that it's significant about the whole three-year thing is because when you've got, you know, the sort of turnover that we have, you also have the sort of roster churn that goes along with it. And again, if I, you know, bear with me if you've heard this before, but, you know, the way that it works is new guy comes in. And I think we're going to see some of this with Dorsey, and I'm pretty sure of it. New guy comes in and says, uh, actually, no, back up. Guy uh, is is running the team, drafts players. And each player that he drafts, he's got a, a and usually this has been a tandem deal where the, the GM and the, the, co- the coach pick players. They, they say, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to put this guy in this role for my scheme, for our team, you know, and, and he's going to learn this role. And we're going to spend time developing him to do that. And he's going to be really good at doing this thing. And because he's really good at doing this thing, he's going to make our team better because of the way that we're running the team. Okay, cool. Well, that lasts less than two years, uh, less than, you know, a year in in some cases. And uh, then new guy comes in. So new guy comes in and says, all right, well, 
I don't really think that the guys that are on the roster are, uh, you know, are really any good. I don't even think they're real players. Well, that means that I'm going to bring in my own guys. And but before you even get to that point, where I see the guys that are on the, the team are probably different from where the previous guys saw them. So I'm going to have these guys do different things now. And so this is where we have the problem, where we've got guys that, remember, we've had a different coach every other year since uh, 2008. And actually, the one year, uh, 2013, we only had a coach for one year, and that was Rob Chudzinski. So that means that every class of players that we have drafted, not a single one of them has reached their third year with the same uh, coaching slash front office group in place as the ones that brought them in when they were drafted. And that will be the case this time around with Sashi, but maybe not with Hugh. We'll see. Uh, which is also to say that none of the... And this actually goes all the way back to um, uh, to Carmen, I believe. Carmen may have may have actually uh, accomplished... Um, Dwight Clark may have accomplished this. But during that entire time, and before that time, certainly during that entire time, that means that none of the draft classes that we have had at the time that they have reached their contract negoti- renegotiation point, which is typically four years, first-round picks have a fifth-year option. But when they have reached that contract year, none of them have dealt with the same front office slash coaching staff as drafted them. And you want to wonder why, not you necessarily, but I'm saying, you know, you, 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 people wonder why we don't retain the good ones that we did. And we've gotten some good ones over the years, you know, T.J. Ward and Dequell Jackson. And uh, I don't know why those were the first ones off the top of my head. Well, people, uh, you know, Taylor Gabriel, and even though he was an undrafted rookie free agent, um, Benji. Uh, the guys that well, uh, Mitchell Schwartz, Kevin, uh, Alex Mack. I mean, some of these guys that we actually got that were good that could still be on the team right now today, even are you know one of the reasons that we lost them one of the reasons that we lost them is because the you know there was just no there and because of that okay there's two sides to this and i know i've talked about this but there's two sides to this on the one hand the gm is like well you know what you guys aren't really my guys anyway and you know the reason that i'm here the reason i was brought in here is because you guys sucked last year and everybody knows this. If if I, I, it's not a big secret. In fact, I can kind of walk around. I can swing it around here right now, because I don't have my fingerprints on the the horror show that you guys have put up for however long a period of time it's been. And this time around, oh Nelly, oh R.I.P. in peace, Keith Jackson. We lost him last week. Um, you know, we've got a worser situation than we've ever had. And with uh, with with uh, Dorsey walking in here, he can he can definitely say, okay, yeah, you guys. Um, use guys, use guys that are on this team. Uh, I saw what you did out there, and it wasn't too good. So, I'm saying like these players that that we had on the team, whether they were good or they weren't, I'm saying it's all you know. Perception is reality, right? And so these front offices come in; they don't really like this guy, they don't really like that guy, uh, or they just they don't. It's not the ideal guy, right? It's not their guy, or they or, you know it's like this guy. Okay, he's really good at doing this, but my scheme, I really want him to do this. All I'm saying is that it's downward pressure on the notion, the sense of urgency when it comes to re-signing these guys or re-signing them at all. To the extent that if a GM is leaning towards, well, you know what, I think I'd rather just kind of roll the dice, let this guy bounce. We didn't win with him anyway. And I'll try to get somebody in free agency or I'll draft somebody, but I'd rather do that. 
Um, or at least I'm more open to that, that I'm not really willing to bend to their demands and I will more than settle for, for letting them walk if I have to. Now, the other side of the coin is these players, every single one of them, have been on a team that has been terrible and in many cases like the the class of guys that have left the last couple of years most of them had three coaches in four years that's ridiculous and they have every right to look at the situation and say this is effed y'all and i'm not gonna stick around here one second longer if i have other options oh you don't want to pay me a ridiculous amount of money i'm a go and we had a big long uh on in the chow today about joe hayden and there's there's still some sort because in the the Joe Thomas podcast, which I have to admit I haven't heard, and I hear it's outstanding, and he sounds like he's having the time of his life, which means I don't think that he's going to come back, which is sad. But um, I have you know people say it's great, and I I think it's awesome. But apparently during the uh, the latest one with uh, Andrew Hawkins, who I also love, is. Um, <clears throat> They are uh, talking about you know the the team the effect that it had on the team when they let Joe Hayden go and this got uh, uh, tempers flare Navi I love you I hope you know that <clears throat> and and everybody uh, on Sasanak I mean I, you guys are awesome and I get the the emotion that's attached to that because you know Joe Hayden is one of my favorite players too but you know we talked about this when it happened and you know it's you know it's all business to me too bro and uh, <clears throat> as, as it goes back to uh, you know salary you know. Joe Hayden wasn't Sashi's guy. Joe Hayden wasn't worth no $14 million a year. And look, if you watched over the last couple of years, you knew this. Uh, so there was no real incentive for Sashi to want to keep him, even though you know he offered to keep him for the same amount of money he ultimately ended up going to Pittsburgh for. But Hayden had no reason to want to stay here. And I'm just saying, if uh, whoever, I don't even remember who it was that, uh, that that drafted Hayden, had been the guy that had been negotiating with him, maybe, maybe, maybe it would have been a whole different situation. Or maybe if uh, Farmer were still here, because Farmer's the one that inked him to the long-term deal. And I'm not even saying that I would have wanted that to happen. All I am saying is that there's a reason why these things do happen. And the reason that they happen is because there it's a two-pronged effort where the players see a joke of an organization. And really, I mean, wh- that's what we are. That's why this, you know, this it's like we've got, we've bottomed out to the point I, I, I'm different. I, I, that last part is stricken from the record I didn't just say what I just say but you know we go through this and it just seems like it gets worse every year it gets worse than what we are a joke of an organization and of a franchise and there's every reason for these players who are real people and have real perspectives on lives and are not just figures in Madden these guys have every right to look at the landscape and say there's no reason I'm going to stay here where this is an unfunny joke that I don't feel like being the punchline of anymore and I get that. So those guys don't already, and if they, I, I don't blame them for not wanting to be here, uh, which is why a guy like Joe Thomas is why I love him even more. You know, the fact that he, to the extent, and you know, I hope he doesn't hang him up. God love you, Joe. God bless you. I love you like you can't believe, and I so hope that you play for another 10 years. You know, I would, you know, but at the same time, you know, I just man to man, you know, I, I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you one bit, man. You have been. You have been everything anybody that loves the, and I I love this team. I have for two and a half decades and uh, for anybody that loves this team, I have got nothing but gratitude, man. I, I watched you play at an elite level for, you know, 13 seasons and I, and and it was uh, it, it, I got to be honest with you, it was the the one good thing that I, out of this whole time was watching you play left tackle. It was worth it was worth it. Um you know, you. I'm just saying. I, I, I can't. I couldn't possibly blame you for saying. You know, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. 
and and to look at okay we're gonna go through and not i'm not trying to put you know words in your mouth or thoughts in your head or anything i'm just just telling you if i were you i guess if i were you um that's exactly uh how i would see it especially because it looks like you're having a blast doing what you're doing so i'm like if, if that's the direction that you go in man you know, no hard feelings ever the number 73 gets retired and nobody no cleveland brown ever wears it again you go in the ring of honor and you're a first ballot hall of famer and i can't wait i would actually make it a point to watch whatever game you would be the color commentary person of because you'd be great at it all right having said all that and joe, joe, joe thomas in and uh, joe thomas joshua cribs and uh, eric turner are my you know they're they're my top three you expand out you know, Clay Matthews and Eric Metcalf uh, round out the top five of my my favorites, but Joe Thomas, Joshua Cribs, and Eric Turner are, are the they they are the, <laughs> the 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 three that are just you know I, my favorite all time guys that I absolutely love with all my heart. Uh, of course, Eric Turner uh, has has passed, um, and Joshua Cribs no longer plays uh, in the NFL, but you know. By the way, if I've never said this before, because uh, it's it's worth if I'm if I'm mentioning Browns players that I love, you know, if I'm mentioning Joe Thomas and I'm going to mention Joshua Cribs, you know, I got the, the the my first memory of Joshua Cribs was him playing for Kent State in a game against the Buckeyes, and this was and you have to excuse me if I get the de- if I get any of the details wrong on this, but I, this was the year that the Buckeyes went to the national championship and won and beat Miami. And by the way, if anybody out there is a Hurricane fan the ball was in the air it was interference you lost anyway the uh the year that that happened they played kent state and cribs was the starting quarterback and you know the buckeyes were you know they weren't like they are now with the way that they could just pile on you know score 75 points a game but they you know they had craig krenzel and they had maurice claret and they had uh you know a bunch of dante whitner was on that team uh uh, by the way, that year they won the national championship, beat Miami. The, the play of the year. I, it's just worth bringing up because it was the play. It actually was, in my mind, uh, as a for college football, it was my play of all time. There has never been a play. It was it was the most play of all time. Playing the Hurricanes, and the Hurricanes were heavily favored. By the way, Ohio State had you know had no business being in the national championship based on everything of the time, but they went undefeated, beat Michigan, uh, which was a big deal back in those days because this was only like two. This was the second year of Best Vest, uh, Jim Trestle. So we're playing uh, the Hurricanes, and uh, they have the lead on us. In fact, I'm I'm almost positive. They have a a three point lead on us going into, and we're in the fourth quarter. We have the ball. Krenzel goes back to pass, and he throws an interception to the great Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor is in the process of uh, trying to make a big run back, which would have probably put the game away at that point. But Maurice Claret, who's a player that, if you don't know that name, is um, a, really kind of a... a, a, a a very significant uh, story from the early 2000s, but he was a, the freshman halfback um, was was poised to be the next great you know Ohio State uh, halfback you know Archie Griffin level greatness. Um, goes up to Taylor after making the interception and just rips the ball out of his arms and got the ball back for Ohio, State, which gave us a first down by the way because uh, the ball was intercepted. 
and it and it was it wasn't like a catch. It was Taylor was returning the ball, and Claret just went and ripped the ball out of his arms. Just and it was it was what it was like. I say it was the most football play of of my college uh, football watching life. But anyway, that year the Buckeyes were were playing, but they were still the Buckeyes, and so they're just destroying Kent State, right? They're just they're just out there. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's Kent State and Ohio State. You know, there's there's just no. But but Joshua Cribs was playing quarterback and playing his heart out. This guy was running. He was passing, passing well. The guy was a good quarterback in 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 college. Joshua Cribs was a good quarterback. And I mean, he was he's out there making play. I mean, he did what he could do. I mean, mean, but I mean, the Buckeyes were just so, so much more talented. But I just I remember watching that game and I remember coming away like, man, you know, that I Kent State had no chance. And and I'm kind of like, you know, probably a lot of uh, NEO people. I I don't really like, you know, the Buckeyes are like my my Ohio team, like the first Ohio team. Um, but like, I also like all the Mac teams. Well, some of the Mac teams. <laughs> like, I don't really have any love for the for the uh, uh, the Miami of Ohio. Uh, what Blackhawks? I think they are. But you know, Bowling Green. You know, I, I I know people that that went there. I didn't go myself, but um, uh, but I just always you know that. And plus, there's a history there with the Browns. So Bowling Green is. Um, did you know that that's where the Browns got their colors from? And now you know. So. Uh, you know, like um, the uh, Kent State, Akron, uh, even Toledo. You know, like the MAC teams, you just kind of pull for anyway. But you know, I'm watching this uh, this you know, and they're playing Ohio State. It's like there's no way they're gonna they don't, they don't have a chance. But I'm watching like man, this Cribs kid. You know, you gotta you gotta hand it to him because even though his team didn't have a chance, you know, he goes out and just you know bust you know plays his heart out, gave it everything he had, and uh, and you know, so I, I just I, I really I admired that watching that game. Didn't think anything of it. Next year rolls around. Was Romeo's first... No, so that couldn't be right. Because uh, it was... Um, so actually, yeah, it couldn't have been right. The timeline couldn't have been right. Uh, because it was Romeo's first year was when Cribs came over. But uh, that would have been 2004. Which actually makes more sense. Because... Uh, so it was. It wasn't the national championship, but but you know what? If I wouldn't have if I wouldn't have confused the year, then I wouldn't have been able to uh, you know confuse myself and segue my own brain into the Sean Taylor Maurice Claret uh, football ripping out story. But the um, <clears throat> so yeah, the the next year was when uh, Romeo Cornell took over, and Josh Cribbs is back returning kicks. And I remember thinking, I'm like, wow, that. That's the same guy. I'm like, that's so cool. I, like, I, I'm, and of course, he was immediately like right out the gate. He was awesome at, at returning kicks. Um, but uh, but I always thought. I mean, from the very first for the very first preseason game, Josh Cribbs is back. Return Joshua Cribbs back there returning kicks. And I'm like, this guy can play quarterback though. I mean, we ought to put him at quarterback sometime. We can do trick stuff. We can do quick. Never happened. I think like I think one time he threw like an extra uh, a, a two point conversion to Winslow uh, in Arizona. I think it was the only time we ever actually used uh, his quarterbacking skill. But Cribbs, you know, he he fully converted over to wide receiver. But this guy, not only being a a tremendous and you know if if they if they if, if the hall of fame if they gave hall of fame uh, level uh credentials for guys that were just re- that were return guys cribs should be that because he was a, a the i mean i i don't know if he still holds the record but he uh finished his career holding the record for the most kickoff return touchdowns in nfl history he guy was just dynamite when he when he got into the league but you know the thing that people don't remember about josh uh joshua cribs is that 
as good of a return man as he was in both kickoff and punt returns, he was also a spectacular special teams ace. Like he was a guy that would you'd be the first dude to you know run down the field covering kicks. He was the gunner on special teams, and he'd be down the field on kickoff. Man, I love Joshua Cribs because that was always the position that I loved. You know, when I went and, and playing, and also like when I watched the Browns back in the mid '90s, Ron Wolfley was like my favorite player back when when he. Was on. If you don't know who he is, actually right now he's the uh, uh, a color commentary guy for the radio Arizona Cardinals uh, network. But then we replaced him with Benny Thompson, who's I mean, so I've always loved the special teams guy. And here's this guy that played quarterback that is also this awesome kickoff return and punt return guy, even though he didn't uh, return punts until Dennis Northcutt left the team years later. But he uh, also uh, turned out to actually be, I always thought, a pretty good wide receiver. But um, I just, but but then he's going down the field and and uh, being the, and I think back in those days they did have the actual wedge buster uh, role, and I just I love the guy and you know John, I, I, and this is one of these uh, I really hope that if somebody like knows uh, him and we're able to get this, not that you know I could expect a guy like Josh Cribbs ever listen to my you know stupid little thing that we do here, but if if, if ever could happen, I just would love for him to know how much I appreciated his time as a Brown because it was he was another one just like uh, Joe Thomas that it, it, was, it wasn't a whole lot of appreciation for those bad years um, it, although he had probably a little bit better than Joe did but man a guy just man Love that guy so much, and because I remember, because with him, you you saw I, I saw the heart in him at in that first game playing for Kent State way back in the day, and when I saw that that same guy lining putting on you know the colors of the Cleveland Browns. Oh, and you know what? I can remember this one of okay. So I told you my the most uh, uh, college play. I will also give you my the most Browns play. And it's it's there's actually two of them that are they're really really back to back. But you will remember you will remember the uh, t- t- like I said not to lose my uh, train of thought there because I would love for 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 uh, him to hear this to to just understand the level of uh, um, of gratitude that a fan like me that loves the Browns has for a guy like him and the way that he played because the game that I'm talking about is it was against the Baltimore Ravens in 2007. Now 2007 was really a great year, 10 and 6. We, you know, it was it was just a fun year. And we had actually a lot of games that we won. Um and, and this game against Baltimore was just I mean, we had we had uh, you know that was when Derek Anderson was the quarterback. We had a great wide receiving core. We had uh, Jamal Lewis at running back, and uh, but the defense was not so good that year. Even though we won a lot of games, the defense was still uh, porous. And actually, Kyle Bowler of all of all people led this uh, last minute uh, touchdown drive for Baltimore that sent the game. Actually, gave them the lead late in the game. And one of my the most plays, but but not the one, not not the most most was. In, um, in 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 well in regulation, got to hand it to Da. He drove the guys down, gave Phil Dawson a chance to hit a really long field goal. Well, Dawson, who's awesome, um, he uh, he he lined up and he hit this thing, but it hit off the stanchion. So that's like the 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 piece, the apparatus that holds the the crossbar in place uh, and it hit the stanchion and bounced back into the field of play leading the fans in Baltimore to think that that uh that it hit the crossbar and bounced off and he missed it 
But the officials took them a couple of seconds before they before they put their hands up because it did. It went through, but it hit the stanchion. It just took an odd bounce and came back. So the kick was good. We go into overtime. Now, a lot of people remember the kick, but what, what people may not remember is that we won the coin toss in overtime and Baltimore kicked off and Cribs returned. And Cribs return on this kickoff it was like he got hit at like the 35 yard line and just i mean through will through sheer determination drove a pile of about 20 guys like 15 extra yards and gave us just crazy great starting field position near midfield and it was i mean and it was just because he's you know because even at that point he was already one of my favorite players ever but to watch a guy that i love so much that you know because because of, of the heart that he had in a game like that cuz i hate the ravens so much and in a game like that where we still had a chance to uh you know to to uh, get into the playoffs you know and and you know it was such an exciting year and for him to put up that sort of effort to get you know that, that just you know, that that meant that meant so much to me and, and i just you know I, I, while we're i don't even i wasn't even planning on talking about any of this i just when <laughs> talking about uh you know favorite all-time players and then eric turner i mean since we're, we're talking about it the late great eric turner there's only one the most uh, moment that I can think of with him, and that was in Game 2 of the 1993 season. We're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. We had uh, won the uh, – actually, no, this, this had to have been Week 3. or No, this is – actually. I'm sorry, wrong year. I'm talking about 1994, the year that we uh, went 11-5, and five, the last time that we actually won a playoff game. It's Week 2, we're playing the Steelers, and it's uh, – <laughs> Uh, the the deep we had a really good defense that year, and uh, Neil O'Donnell was the quarterback, and we had sacked and gotten them penalized to the point where they were facing a third and thirty five, and Neil O'Donnell uh, went back to throw a, a crossing route to a uh, a Steeler wide receiver it was our first round draft pick that year, a guy named Charles Johnson I believe was his name, and he came across on a slant, and Eric Turner just. I mean, he hit him in a way that was, I, I, they probably wouldn't be allowed today, uh, even though I think it was all shoulder. But he just, he just depleted this guy. And the force of the hit caused the receiver to, uh, obviously, I mean, he, he hit the ground with a thud. And then a couple of seconds later, you just kind of saw the ball dribbling out from from, uh, from where he was, and the, the the place, the stadium was just going, you know, ape. It was, oh, it was just to, to paraphrase that. So I don't like to use curse words on here, but anyway, um, the uh, um, the, so the stadium is just going berserk, and they uh, they end up. Uh, we, we, we still end up losing the game but that that moment that hit and watching it back like I saw it at the stadium when it happened then I went back later and watched it on the film because uh, I had recorded it back in those days on the old VHS and Chris Collinsworth was calling the game uh, which means he got booed when he was announced for NBC that day like he always did but when the hit happened he was like wow Wow! That was like he was just totally blown away. Of course, he played receiver <laughs> and played against us uh, for a lot of years. And Eric, you know, Eric Turner was Eric Turner was the highest drafted safety in history, and uh, and we took him. And he was uh, just he was he was my favorite player. And uh, he you know passed away unfortunately in uh, 1999, I believe. He was playing for the Raiders at the time. And uh, you know, left us too soon. But he was—he's uh, the guy that, if you ever look at my avatar, he's—he's that's—that's—that's uh, that's, that's the one that he's my—he is my my the guy at the top of the list 
because uh, he's the one that I really um, and he would have you know he he should have retired a Brown uh, but you know he was one of the guys that left uh, when when the, when the Browns left. Uh, in 1994, he had an All-Pro season. was just just tremendous. He could cover and he could hit. Uh, was ju- was just a just just a dynamic playmaker. So uh, you know, at any rate, um, was you know, kind of this this whole thing started. <laughs> this whole this whole train of thought started with Joe Thomas talking about how Joe Hayden, um, you know, leaving how that affected him. Uh, maybe that wasn't uh, where I was going with this, but really, what it's about is uh, uh, the free agency period that we're about to go into how we're we're probably going to spend money just to spend money how it is that um the free agents that or i should say the guys that we draft and develop over time uh and maybe that's what it was is talking about how i appreciate joe thomas and how it is rare but a lot of these guys if they if they're on this team for any length of time like jordan cameron good example of this jordan cameron we drafted him i think in 2012 I want to say he left in after uh, the 25th. So it must have been uh, 2011. We got him. He didn't do anything for his first couple of years, I think. And then the year we got Chud, uh, he had uh, like like a Pro Bowl type year. Actually, he had like a Pro Bowl type first half of the year. And then we got progressively worse as the season went along. And then the next year, he was hurt a lot, didn't didn't make as many contributions. But you remember what happened with him is he came along and his agent announced that uh, the Dolphins, or not the Dolphins, he had announced that the Browns and Cameron had uh, renegotiated a deal and that he was going to come back and play for Cleveland. And this was announced, and then like an hour later, that story was, retract- was retracted and it was reported that he was going to sign with Miami. What basically ended up happening is he used us as leverage to get a better deal, the deal that he wanted to play for the Dolphins. And and look, from his perspective, this again goes back to the whole Joe, Joe Hayden thing. From his perspective, I can understand it. I can understand why wouldn't you look at us as a mark? Why wouldn't you look at us as a team that you could do that sort of thing to? We've certainly you know, not proven ourselves to be you know, worthy of any respect in any meaningful way. So, you know, why, why wouldn't you? And so he did. And I'm saying that that type of attitude, I don't I, I can understand that happening when you have a team where you have a, a different, you know, a, a revolving door, particularly at the head coaching spot, but also um, in the front office, which is to say, you know, I mean, as, as critical as I am constantly of, uh, of Jimmy Haslam and also of Hugh Jackson, I do have to give Haslam credit that this time he did keep a coach for a third year. I honestly think, you know, if you had to pick one or the other, I would much, 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 much have rather kept Sashi than to have, um, you know, uh, chosen Hugh. But, but you know, what? at the same time, maybe, these, maybe the guys that we drafted, you know, it, last year, 2016, if Hugh can actually get it together. Um, and I, I said this yesterday, and I, I'm happy to say it right now, as we dovetail into now the uh, discussion about moving forward. And that is, I think that if we were to draft number one overall, Baker Mayfield out of Oklahoma. Love you, Thelonious, but we just don't see eye to eye on this one. If we draft Baker Mayfield number one, then we are, I believe, an eight-win team next year. I see that happening. And that's not even addressing the safety spot, but if we do the safety spot, we might even might even be able to up that a little bit definitely if we right now my 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 and i've I've gone back and forth on this and and 
this is a good, uh, uh, like I say, place to, to kind of deviate into to, uh, the draft discussion overall as far as where we go, but what the expectations are. If we draft Baker Mayfield, I see this as an eight-win team. If, if we draft uh, Josh Rosen, who I think is probably um, the, the next most uh, pro-ready guy, like the next guy that you, just, you toss him into the lineup, he's ready to go. Uh, my problem with Rosen is, and I probably have him a lot closer to uh, uh, Bayfield. If you were, if you didn't have, if he didn't have the concussion problem, and and that's 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 really it's an issue. It's an issue at the NFL level with the, you know the way that the game is played now. It's just it's just one of those things that you have to worry. You have to take it into consideration. Um, that it could you know it, it could be a, now if if we were drafting like second or third or fourth overall and he fell to us yeah you know, take the risk you know you roll the dice and some team is definitely should and will do that I just don't think that it, it should be us but I, I I like him a lot I I don't like uh, Sam Darnold as much but I do like Sam Darnold I think that uh, <clears throat> I'm I'm just I. I I don't know. There's something about them. There's actually something about both of those guys. They both kind of have each of them. If you watch enough tape on them, they ha- they each have WTF throws after a while. And I kind of have both of them uh, just a eyelash ahead of the guy that I really fell in love with at the beginning of all this, and that's Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is, you know, honestly, this guy could be uh, the best running back in the draft if he was if he if he came out as a running back. If he knows how to catch, he could probably be the best wide receiver. As it is. I think he's probably the second best quarterback. I, I he's just I don't I, I I can't put him in the same um, quarterback you know uh, capability because to my mind Baker Mayfield is the clear number one. I, I think that Rosen is very close to him in terms of quarterbacking you know ability, but with Rosen you've got the you know the injury concern. But I still think that he's he's solidly number two uh, as far as the and he would be probably solidly number two. Um, but for the, the, the injury concern. So I kind of, you know, the way I have it right now, and I, I kind of waffle on this, but that's the whole point. Mayfield is definitely number one. Two A right now, I, I'm kind of back to, to it's Lamar Jackson. It's kind of back to my two my A. And then probably Rosen to B and, and Darnold to C. But I mean, I, I've had kind of, I've mixed those guys up. But I, I would look at if it, I, I would be happy with any of the four of them. Quite honestly, I would be much, 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 much more happy if we get the first one. If we end up with if we end up with Baker Mayfield, we're an eight win team next year. I really and and we are on a trajectory to have this this. Four, I have never I have never been more excited about a quarterback prospect. Now, whatever. I mean, I real I, I understand that not everybody uh, is as banana sandwich over the kid as I am. But I watched. I, I as the more I watch, the more I see, the more I I glean into his personality. Yeah, I get it. He's a, he's a weirdo, but that's kind of the thing about it that makes it even more endearing in many ways. Uh, I'm I'm. But it's it's more just the yes, the bowl game against Georgia. All that factors in. All all of it factors in. I would have been happier to see him go out and win a national championship. That didn't happen, but the dude went out and balled against one of the best defenses in the country. And so, you know what? I'm, uh, you know, Alabama didn't put no 42 points on on a UGA. So, you know, I'm 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 uh, I, I'm I'm all the way there on Baker Mayfield. All the way. He is my guy, 100%. Draft him number one. High five and hit the bar. But before we get there, having said that. If we didn't take Mayfield, but we took any of the other four guys, I, 
I I would I would I would talk myself into it. I would I would I would live with it. I would get over it because those because the, those other three guys are really good quarterback prospects. I think that in any other year, like if we were coming into this year and it was you know just, the finger quotes just you know Darnold and Rosen and, and uh, Jackson, then uh, you know then I would say that's pretty good quarterback class. I, I'm feeling you know I, I I would feel like if we got one of those guys. Um, I think that's probably on balance, uh, you know, probably better than last year's quarterback class. Even though I would take Mahomes over any of those guys, any of those three, but solidly. And I had, I had, you know, this this was this is a hard one, but I would take Mayfield over uh, Mahomes. And Mahomes was the. I mean, I was, I was over that. Now, uh, <clears throat> don't know that I would. Uh, I, I probably, I, I'd probably even take him over Wentz. And I was pretty high on Wentz. I wasn't as high on Wentz as um, as I was on on Mahomes. And of course, Mahomes hasn't proven uh, nearly as much uh, as of yet. But uh, but I'm, I'm I'm higher on Mayfield than I am on any of those guys. I am as excited about him as I am any of those guys. And yeah, maybe it's because we do have the number one pick, and we are planning, and we are probably going to take a quarterback. And so maybe it's just because we we can have him that maybe I'm just seeing. But I'm, have you watched the guy? Have you watched him? Play? Have you seen him do what he can do? Have you seen him go through the progressions? Have you seen him look off defenders? Have you seen the freak accuracy at every level? Do you see the guy out there, uh, you know, running that team like a boss? Do you see the way that he's able? He's got like a million comebacks in college. And you consider that he's the only walk-on in, in ever to win the Heisman Trophy. Consider that. Consider no other Heisman Trophy winner has ever walked on. What does that say? about the guy's mindset and this is the other thing I, I really I honestly believe this about the guy just everything that I that you see and read and hear about you know you get you try to build you know OCBB who's a guy I respect greatly who's on um, uh, the the uh, the threads a lot on DBN you know he said he talks about his ability to pick a juror and, and his ability to to read people and, and I think that it's you know in looking at at Mayfield I see a guy that if we draft him number one overall especially coming off an 0 and 16 season you just know you just know that the LOL Johnny stuff is going to start up right away and that that is going to be the the media narrative and that's going to be and I project that that is just going to light a fire underneath Baker Mayfield that will not be extinguished until he wins 10 Super Bowls. Like it'll it'll be it will be the driving force of his career to I mean it, it will be the mission of his life <laughs> to to I mean it may not even be the mission of his life to to uh, to turn the Cleveland Browns around. It'll be the mission of his life to to spite everybody that that uh, you know that it, it, more like avenging the Browns because of the way that they disrespected them over the Johnny stuff as much as it is to turn the franchise around. In other words, I could see him being motivated by weird stuff, but being motivated to the point where he's great. And I mean, like, like epic great. I'm, I'm just, it's what I see out of this guy. And I'm not, I will, okay, I, I will go over my bona fides again. Take it for, I, I, and this is as I, I am being as honest as I, I've, I've never, I've never lied to you people. I don't have any reason to ever start. I'll go back as far as uh, 2014. I would go back further than that. 2013, there really were no quarterbacks to consider. Um, I like Geno Smith, but it was like the, you know, it's wasn't really. I, nobody was really high on anybody, and I was like everybody else. The year before that, uh, I really, really, I actually liked Ryan, uh, Ryan Tannehill. 
and I, I would have I would have been fine with us uh, taking him. I was dead set 100% against Brandon Whedon, and it's one of only two times that I've ever thrown a beer at the television is when we drafted Weeds. So, okay, moving forward, 2014, I was all over Teddy Bridgewater. That was my guy. That's who I wanted. That was my number one. I wanted him. That He was absolutely my clear favorite number one. I thought Manziel was like a third-round pick. That was my – and I liked – to be honest, I was also like probably like half and half on uh, Carr and Bortles, right? I mean, so, I mean, you know, take it for what it's not. Bortles is playing in the AFC Championship game, you know, so, you know, this – so we'll see. But I, but I think that I'm pretty uh, content in, uh, in, in, in my analysis to this point that I think the Carr is a better pro. Uh, so I, I probably got that one a little off. But hey, um, and Teddy, you know, it's hard to say because the leg fell off. Although this is, you know, getting into it, that's a guy that I, I that's my, that's kind of like my sleeper guy that I think that we could go out and get and, and should, especially with uh, the Vikings going to the NFC Championship game and I, where I think they can beat the Eagles and I hope they do because I hate the Eagles. But if they do beat the Eagles, they're going to be playing the Super Bowl in their home stadium, which has never happened before. And that's another thing. That's another thing. I don't want to get sidetracked, but I do need to, maybe I'll do that for the Super Bowls uh, special. Is talking about the weirdness associated with teams that play or the, the teams that play at the home field the Super Bowl is at. I'm, just, I'm totally butchering that whole concept. Wherever the Super Bowl is played every year, a home team plays there, and every year some weird thing happens. This year, the weird thing was the the Vikings pulling off that miracle. Of a of a play uh, against the Saints, where they end up, you know, they're just trying to get ten, you know, twenty yards, ten you know, in nine seconds, so they can get out of bounds and try a field goal, and the miracle happens where, you know, Stephon Diggs catches the ball, and uh, Marcus Williams, the rookie, very good player, uh, Marcus Williams, ends up making missing the tackle. Uh, trying not to, you know, get interference and you know everything, and I'm gonna get kids got it. I, 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 I want to give that kid first of all kudos for for showing up in front of the press after that, but you know I got to give him the benefit of the doubt too a little bit because he is, you know, they, they, the coaches are telling him not to pass interference, and they're just trying to. But it, he, he he totally missed on what would have been a game-ending tackle. Um, so you know, it's un, it's 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 unfortunate, but I mean, Diggs, he he, in the process, he ends up taking out uh, Marshawn Lattimore. So uh, is it Marshawn? I, I, I think I got the wrong Lattimore. But anyway, um, he he, uh, he uh, takes out Lattimore, and that causes Diggs to have nobody between him and the end zone. Just to, and Keenum, Keenum's reaction was just priceless because he's like he can't believe it, and then you see this offensive lineman bearing down on him, so he has to like react and like you know jump on the guy, and then you see him just running down the field like a maniac. I'm like, oh, man, there's like there's there's that is like one that is such a rare thing. There are very few hu- human beings that will ever experience anything like that feeling that he had right there. Kudos to him, and I'm all about the Vikings winning it all, and they really are the only team that could beat the Patriots. I'm sorry, I know some people are holding out hope that. Uh, that uh, that the Patsies could could uh, you know, or that uh, that the Jaguars could go up there, and t- it, it ain't happening. I'm telling you right now. And I'll, look, I will I will absolutely uh, you know I'll beat myself up uh, about the head and face if I'm if I'm uh, wrong and somehow Jacksonville pulls out what would be an impossible mirror. I mean, it's it's because it's not going to happen. But 
I'm saying. The one team that could is the Vikings. Uh, because really, even though <laughs> all the other teams have their backup quarterbacks. No, actually, the, the, the Jaguars have their starting quarterback. It's just that, you know, it's, it's Bortles. But, I mean, the the, uh, the Vikings and the Eagles both have their backups in there. But, really, I mean, Keenum's been their guy all year. I mean, he's for all, he's been basically their starting quarterback for, what, like 14 weeks now? I don't know what the number is, but he's been there for a long time. So, you know, he really is, for all intents and purposes, their starting quarterback. And so he's going in there with his team. And, you know, he's good enough for, uh, for, for certainly for them to go out there and beat the, uh, the Eagles. But I think that they are also that, – that, that they are a formidable challenge. They – could I don't think they will, but they could uh, beat the Patsies. So, I mean, you know, we'll see. But why this is significant, okay? And I think that the die may already be cast with this because Keenum taking them as far as he has taken them. The, the Vikings are in a very peculiar quarterback situation, right? Because now they're going to finish with at, at worst now, or I should say at best, if from a draft perspective, I guess. They are going to finish with, uh, like, what, 28 at best is what they're going to finish with. Uh, and that's not going to be, you know, enough. I mean, they're gonna, they're, they're gonna, they'd have to trade up if they want to get a quarterback because all three of the guys that they currently have on the roster, Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, and Teddy Bridgewater, are all one-year guys. They're all players that, that are in the final year of their contract with Minnesota. You're only going to keep one of them. And I know that people think that they're going to keep – they're going to let Bradford go. They're going to keep Keenum, and they're also going to keep uh, Bridgewater on it. I, why? I, I don't see any reason that Bridgewater would come back. He wants to play, and if he's fully, if he's a go, right? If he's a, if he's good to go, then there's no reason for him to settle for backup status in Minnesota because somebody us is going to sign him. Uh, maybe not to start. I mean, in our case, it would be kind of like the deal with Mike Glennon last year where he probably figures that we're going to draft somebody, but we're going to put him as the starter, and if he plays well, well, you know, he's at least going to get a shot. He may not get a shot anywhere else. The Jets, maybe. I don't know. I kind of see J- uh, Lamar Jackson going to the Jets. I don't know why. I just see that happening. But, uh, you know, there's a couple other landing spots that he could go to, but I don't know that there's too many teams out there that are going to give him a a starting shot, like an actual st- uh, shot to start. Whereas we would be the one team where it's like, hey, look, you know, if you beat out the rookie – then you can start, but you got to beat out the rookie, and that may be the best offer that he gets in terms of the where the best shot that he may have is to say, okay, I can beat out a rookie. I've been in the league for four years now. I should be, even though he hasn't, you know. But you see, with that guy, it's always been about you know cerebral. If the leg holds up, then a healthy Teddy Bridgewater, oh yeah, I would be very excited. Uh, you know, I just mentioned he was my favorite guy in the 2014 class, but I think that what he's shown in the NFL. Um, I would lo- he didn't get his third year. I would love to see uh, what the guy could do if he's healthy. Um, but you just don't know that. And that's, that's the point, is that there's not really too many teams out there that are going to be willing to give Bridgewater a starting shot. And Bridgewater is not, you know, if he has the ability, see, it's, it's an intriguing thing. If he has the ability to offer some team, it's, it's, a, it's a push and pull here. There's not that many teams that are going to be able to pay him and give him the sort of opportunity that is requisite, a guy that can legitimately come in and be somebody's franchise quarterback if he can stay healthy Uh, there's a lot of ifs there's a lot of caveats but it's a very very doable thing there's not very many teams that can do that um and there's also uh um not very many uh teams that would want him there's not very very many teams that he is going to appeal to for that reason so he kind of is like a perfect fit but there's no reason for him to settle for, for minnesota is the point 
You know, especially if Ke- I mean Keenum. Keenum is if Keenum takes them to the Super Bowl, especially if he takes them to the if Keenum takes them to the Super Bowl and wins it, what else is there to talk about? You know, I mean, the guy's your starter. He's your dude. You know, I mean, you, you're high five, hit the bar all off season because y'all did it. You know, and I would love for that to happen. By the way, the Vi- I'm I'm all behind the Vikings. Uh, that Tasleyos dude was hanging out with us throughout the course of the year. And I, but I mean, the Vikings are they're cool as far as I, I got no problem with the Vikings. They used to play in the Bucks division, I know, but I I, I, I got no because kind of those old NFC North divisions. I don't really like any of those teams either, but I, I got no problem with Minnesota. I like I, I kind of like the Vikings. They're they're just one of these weirdo hard luck teams that had that just had these bizarre bounces over the years, but they're definitely the team that I'm pulling for. I'm not saying that they're going to go into Philadelphia and win because unfortunately the Eagles are a good looking team too. Uh, but I am saying that minute that New England absolutely 100% is going to beat Jacksonville. Um, and if it is a Super Bowl between New England and Philadelphia, they will absolutely 100,000% beat them too. But if it is a Super Bowl between the Patsies and uh, the Vikings, then it's possible uh, that the Vikings could pull that out. But it would be a long shot, and it may take another miraculous uh, performance. But having said all that, um, we we take uh, Mayfield uh, or we take any quarterback number one. My other thought was uh, it really it's 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 kind of between uh, really two people at number four. And uh, the way that it breaks down, you figure that the Giants, Eli Manning is old, uh, you know, and, and coming off a bad year, you, they're in a position to grab one of these guys. I can't imagine that they wouldn't take uh, probably either Rosen or Darnold. I, I can't imagine that they would take whichever one of those guys that. Um, that they like because hopefully we take Mayfield number one and if that happens that that leaves a really interesting spot for the Colts at number three because the Colts at number three I I would say the best player on the board at that point would be and maybe the best player on the board after uh uh Bayfield is uh Chubb for some reason the guy's uh uh first name Brandon Chubb Bradley Chubb out of um because his, his brother Nick Chubb is, uh, or his cousin Nick Chubb plays uh, uh, running back for uh, Georgia, and I don't want him because of the knee thing. But at any rate, um, he is an edge rusher that, to my mind, is like Garrett too. And I love Emmanuel Ogba, but it, but I'm definitely loving the idea of having uh, three edge rushers that can do that. But it really makes the most amount of sense for the Colts to just grab this guy at number three. But... Indianapolis could swing a monster deal and give some team out there that is willing and you know the Broncos the Jets the Redskins maybe if uh, Kirk Cousins bounces but then again if Kirk Cousins bounces you know where's you know where's he going to end up landing maybe could he could he end up with us some people are hopeful that that could uh, I, I don't think so I think a more likely landing spot would be somebody someplace like Denver um, you know maybe maybe Arizona you know, something like that but uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, but maybe one of those teams uh, ends up uh, trading up to number three, and they take the quarterback. Okay, so then if we're sitting on the clock, right, and all three of those, let's let's say it goes like this. All right, let's. I'm gonna throw a couple of things at you. Let's say that we are we draft Bayfield number one overall, then. Number two overall, the Giants take Rosen. Number three overall, the Colts trade with the Cardinals, who finally decide we're just going to draft a guy, and I'm just picking the Cardinals because I like them of all the teams that I, that I just named off there. And it would probably surprise people. You know, they give up the, you know, they give up the sun, the moon, and the stars to move up because they would have to give up a, a ridiculous haul in order to move up from where they are to get um, 
to get to the point where they could get to the number three with the Colts. But, you know, they do it. So that way they could uh, run up and grab Darnold. Okay, so those three guys are off the board. We're sitting there at number four. Here are the possible options. We could, and the first one that I came, you know, I think that, that is, um, well, okay, if that, if that exact thing happens, I already said that the first player on the board is uh, Bradley Chubb, and I would love to have a guy like that. I mean, to have three guys off the edge in the first place, you could have more of a rotation between those two, uh, guys, which will keep them fresher, which will mean in the fourth quarter their legs will be fresher, which means they should be able to rush the passer better, more um, effectively, and with uh, less... Uh, frequency of playing means less chance of injury for all of them but if if one of them does get hurt you've still got two awesome guys that can go and rush the passer and you don't have as much of a drop-off i would love 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 if we allocated that high resource the number four overall on an edge player like that but and the only but about this, because I, I am I, I, I understand, you know, Emmanuel Ogba, when his contract comes up, he was a de, a de facto first rounder because um, he was a 30 second player, even though he was a second round pick. But, you know, he's going to command a rather large contract because of his although if he doesn't get his sack numbers up, maybe not. But you just, you're probably not going to be able to keep a guy like him and uh, a guy like Chubb and Garrett all under contract at the same time. Maybe, maybe not. But I don't really care. I, I you know, I, I'm good with having those guys for the next couple of years to just, you know, kill the quarterback. And besides, if at the end of that that journey, you end up with Chubb and Garrett just destroying people off the edge. Well, what, I mean, what are we talking about here, people? That's what we want. Especially if you're not satisfied with Agba and Garrett as the combo right now, which I very much am, by the way. You know, if that's what we were rolling with going into to, uh, 2018, maybe we're good to go as far as I'm concerned with the edge guys that we have. Yeah, but ultimately, and this was a point that was brought up, I think, by B-Kig, oh, my man Bernie, is that it's not about the drop-off between or, or the improvement between a guy like Agba and Chubb. It's the drop-off between a guy like Agba and a guy like Nassib. You're just not getting that same level of, of pass rushing or even uh, run-stopping ability from those second-tier or Orchard or those second-tier guys. And if you had a guy that, you know, if, if, it, if it's Chubb and Garrett primarily, but then Agba is coming in, you know, that's a much, much, much higher quality guy. And it's not a luxury pick when you consider that rushing the quarterback is the most important facet of winning football. Well, one of the most important facets of winning football games. It certainly is a higher factor than, um, and, and look, you know, Garrett last year was fantastic. He just, you know, he's going to need some more help uh, on the defense. Uh, or as, as far, Actually, what he really needs is for guys to be healthy. And if everybody is healthy next year, I think that front seven as is is great. But I would be great with adding an even greater piece. You know, we already have a monster. We got a monster and a beast. If we had two monsters, two monsters better than a monster and a beast, even though a monster and a beast is really good. But the next, uh, you know, the the, the big problem with this, um, well, actually, I wouldn't even say it's a big problem. It's not necessarily the best option. Consider this. I've already mentioned that Lamar Jackson is uh, probably the best at two other positions other than quarterback if he were to come out as one of those. What if we took Mayfield number one overall and then drafted Jackson at number four? Hmm? I know that I'm not the first person to say this or suggest this, um, but I, and if you've heard it before, okay. But the point is, is that what if it doesn't work out with Mayfield? I actually happen to think that it will work out swimmingly with Mayfield, but if it doesn't, you know, you kind of got a guy that you can go to right away. Or... You got a guy that you can utilize in other roles 
and you can still hone his quarterbacking, but maybe you can showcase him in ways that make him an effective player, but also maybe somebody that you could trade later on if Mayfield really does you know, knock it out of the park as a quarterback. It kind of gives you some options. It gives you a lot of different options, doesn't it? It gives you the option of somebody that can, that when he has, look it, you can say whatever you want about Lamar Jackson as a passer. And there's plenty to, you know, for me, I'm actually very happy with his ability to play from the pocket. I think that a lot of people look at his, because he has this freakish athletic ability with the ball in his hands and his athleticism that's second to none. Uh, I'm saying second to none, not just as a quarterback, I'm t- period. His ability with the ball in his hands is, is, he doesn't have a peer in this class, and that includes Saquon Barkley, in my opinion. He's that good and that dynamic as a ball carrier. But that kind of causes people to overshadow the, pa- the fact that he's got really, really good traits as a passer as well, from the pocket passer as well. Where it all kind of breaks down for me, though, is that he's really um, not the most adept when it comes to the crunch time big game type moments he's he's had a couple of stink burgers in big mo in big games so you know uh that that's that's not everything but that's something and that's why that's why with with uh mayfield you know it's like it's like i've watched these guys over the years you know drafted all these quarterback or watched scouted all these quarterbacks that would go on to be drafted by other teams basically um and it's like you, you for, like last year you're looking at you know with with Mahomes you had this this crazy deep ball accuracy and really accuracy all over the place but the deep ball accuracy for Mahomes was just off the charts and plus he had this crazy ridiculous arm talent um, and then you had you know Kaiser who was kind of like the the, the physical specimen you know six five two thirty you know big you know huge arm and he just had all of uh, you know the physical traits that you want for in the what you call a prototypical quarterback prospect. And then you had Deshaun Watson, who uh, didn't have the strongest arm and you know wasn't the most accurate uh, deep uh, ball passer, but he had the big game and the leadership experience and the intangibles that were just you know off the charts. Uh, he had, and then you had Trubisky, who wasn't the best at any of those things, but he was kind of good at all of them. Well, now this year I've got, and and last year I really I I loved Trubisky and Mahomes and I had Mahomes just ahead of Trubisky and I would have drafted either one of them with the first pick at the end of it I decided I was fine with uh, drafting Garrett but I did it with knowing that we may be passing on both guys which ultimately we ended up doing well I like Mayfield like all of those things like Mayfield's got all of them I mean he doesn't have like the rocket super arm but I don't really care because that's not that's not any that's not even close to the most important thing and Mahomes has does have the the freak deep ball accuracy that only he does Uh, but okay fine Uh, there's only going to be one Mahomes who I think is going to be I think he's going to be a stud (laughs) you know Kansas City at whatever point they they name him the starter I think they're going to have a good one for a long time but you know you can't you're, we're not going to get him but but Mayfield as far as everything else goes and the intangibles and on the big game stage being a leader all that uh, and and also being ridiculously accurate I'm just saying I, I don't need to keep going on and on about uh, about uh Mayfield because I, I I'm, I'm just saying I'm I'm, he, I'm he's he's my guy 100 percent but I'm saying that uh, you know Lamar Jackson is a guy that as a quarterback prospect is a very 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 attractive prospect it just so happens that with the ball in his hand, so that's what I'm saying, you could get a guy like him, and you've got a quarterback and an offensive playmaker wherever it is that you decide to put him. 
and I'm not sure that I, I like that approach, but I'm saying that if if you and he's very durable. I mean, Jackson never had injury problems. I mean, he's played you know, he, and he, and that guy. If you watch any of Louisville, he he is their offense. He is the guy that is, um, you know, showcased. He's the thing that makes that whole thing run. Uh, and maybe that's the reason why it, it doesn't work in the big game. I don't know. I'm not going to uh, uh, try to uh, hazard too much when it comes to all that. All I'm saying is that I wouldn't be, I would not be unhappy if we ended up drafted him to play quarterback. But I'm just saying the the idea of drafting Mayfield number one overall and then drafting Jackson number four is not is not the craziest. And it's and I'm actually it's not even all that original to me. Uh, I've heard it uh, through multiple people, but. But it is it's it's an interesting thing to to consider. As is this. Okay, let's get into crazy uh, draft scenario time. I, I brought this up the other day. Let's say you agree with a couple of um of things. Let's say that you uh, you, you you can start with uh, the idea that the that Washington cannot re-sign Kirk Cousins. That he just that their relationship is sullied and that there's just nothing that they can do about it. And there's just nothing that they can do about it. They will not be able to work out a long-term deal. And that seems to be the presumption that a lot of people have about that situation out there right now. Okay, well, let's if, if assuming that's the case, then let's also uh, say that the, Red, and, and the Redskins are picking at number 13. Chances are they're not going to get it. Well, I, not chances are. They cannot say that they can get one of those top four quarterbacks um, at number four. Because the, the other uh, option that I'm talking about with us at number four, as opposed to taking either Chubb or Jackson, would be to uh, trade the pick, right? Because we, if we trade, we could probably get... Because if, if those three guys are gone and Jackson's still on the board, maybe a team like the Jets or somebody wants him and will trade us a bunch of picks to you know, jump up and get him and we get even more. Um, but I'm, th- I'm, I'm going to suggest this scenario specifically because it's a little odd. And it also is predicated on a lot of things. But again, all of these things are not totally implausible. The first of which being that the Redskins feel like they cannot sign uh, Cousins to a long-term deal. And they also believe that at the number 13, they cannot guarantee that they can get one of the top four guys. And they agree that uh, with me that after those top four guys, there's a serious drop-off to Josh Allen, who Kuiper has us taking number one over. It's crazy. And they decide that he's not worth taking with the number 13 overall. Um, and they really would like to get into the number four. But Cousins ain't going to sign with us. And we know he's not going to sign with us. And he makes it known that he's not going to sign with us. Uh, and so there's no real... And plus, we just drafted Bayfield. So we're not going to... We're not going to... And we signed Teddy Bridgewater. So we're not going to trade for Kirk Cousins. And there's really no interest in us in, in doing that. And even if... Uh, he would sign with us. I mean, the guy's he's going to be like 35. I mean, it's going to be a ridiculous amount of money to sign him to, to come play for us. There's no draw for him to want to wanna come play for us. So it's going to be ridiculously expensive. He's probably not going to want to do it anyway. It's just not it's not, it's not happening, them trading Kirk Cousins to us. By the way, um, the, the whole point here is that Washington cannot re-sign him, but what they can do is tag him. They can transition tag him or they can franchise tag him. So let's say that they decide, we, we don't know what else to do here. We've got, we got to tag him because they could tag and trade him. And then the team that he gets traded to could work out a long-term deal, which would probably have to happen because if they tag him, it'll be the third year in a row that they've tagged him, and it'll be like $35 million or something crazy like that. So if that happens um, and they tag him because they're like, we don't know what else to do. We can't you know, guarantee that we're going to get a quarterback in free agency because you can never guarantee you're going to get a quarterback in free agency because if there's a quarterback that's good, he's not going to be available in free agency. 
and we can't guarantee that we're going to get a good quarterback at number 13 overall. The only move we have is the franchise cousins, even though you know he's made it clear that we're not going to make our, we're kind of a long-term deal. Still, we got no other moves. We tag him. Okay, so they tag him, but they know they can't work out a long-term deal, and they and and we know that they can't trade him uh, to us, and they know that we know that they know that they need to get into that top four if they want Lamar Jackson or one of the other quarterbacks if Jackson's already taken and you again agree with all of these things have to be true in order for this whole thing to be plausible they like the top four quarterbacks they want one of the top four quarterbacks they feel like they can win with one of the top four quarterbacks but they feel like they have to get in the top four in order to get one of those top four quarterbacks because sitting there at five is the Denver Broncos now the Broncos also want a quarterback but you know horse teeth may not really be into having a rookie starting for his veteran squad he may determine that you know what i um i i kind of liked it when peyton just came in and we were winners right away i really liked that i really really liked the fact that he could come in and just command the offense and i've already got demarius thomas and emmanuel sanders on the raw i mean i've already got weapons i already got guys that i can i have a nice offense built around a guy that can come in and play quarterback right now and i'm not so certain that any of these rookies that are going to be left over at four while they may become fine players i'm not really digging the fact that they're going to be able to come in and do this right away now while the redskins and uh whoever it is i can't think of who the name of their gm is right now while they may not feel like they can sign him to a long-term deal teeth may be able to convince them him and themselves that they can sign cousins to a long-term deal and if they are able to do that if they are able to convince all three of those parties that they can work out a long-term deal well then this is where and 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 you know that's what i'm saying there's a lot of things that are that are associated with this that you have to accept um these teams think and there's no way of knowing if they think any of these things and it's quite very possible maybe even likely that they don't think these things but what the hell we're we're in the postseason we're talking about it let's say that all of these things that i've just said are true and that the, the broncos are sitting there and they've got uh the the fifth pick in the draft which they're not going to be able to get a top quarterback they may try to work out a deal with us, but I don't know. what are you, you going to give us? We want we, 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 we want more than what you got. Because we can sit here and we can take Bradley Chubb. I mean, this guy is, you know, I mean, we, you know we, we really like him. Maybe, uh, you know, how do we know that you're not going to? I mean, I guess if you're going to jump up and get a quarterback, we know that'd be okay. But, you know, we're, we, 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 you know we like this guy. Or maybe they just don't want to, you know, trade him to an insane. You know, maybe it's just we don't like screw you, Elway. We're not dealing with you. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe it's just that, or maybe it's just that they don't. Again, it, maybe they just don't feel like uh, the rookie is the way to go. And if he had a shot at uh, Cousins, why, you know, I'd really prefer that to uh, to go in with a rookie. So Cousins won't sign with us, but he might be convinced that he could sign with the Broncos. The Broncos are convinced that they could sign him. The, the, so, okay, so here we go. So we're sitting there at four, and we have the pick that the Broncos or that the, uh, that the uh, Redskins need in order to get the quarterback that they want. But we don't uh, need what they got. The Broncos do. So we work out a three-way trade, and it goes basically like this. We move out of the four. And we give up Deshaun Kaiser. The Broncos give up the five. And uh, and they get Kirk Cousins. The Redskins move out of the 13. And they take our four. And they get Kaiser. And we end up with the five and the 13. 
Eh? Now, that would work out really good. Now, here it, to, to say it differently, all right, we give up the 4 and Kaiser to get back the 5 and the 13. Now, Padua was giving me uh, grief over this because he's like, why would the Redskins, well, you know, uh, Kaiser was a 52nd overall. He's not worth the, th- the 13, and we're getting that. Well, I mean, yeah, but we are getting, I mean, we're moving out of the 4. We don't have to move anywhere. We're moving out of the 4, so if we're moving out of the 4, we need to be getting a lot of value to be moving out of the 4. Now, the 5 and the 13 may be over that value, but hey, you know, it's, it's, it's a buyer's market out there. I'm sorry, it's a seller's market out there. Um, at that point, uh, and for the Broncos, it's a straight swap. They're trading in the fifth pick in the draft for Kirk Cousins. Okay, I, I think that, that teeth may go for that. If you're a Broncos fan, would you go for that? I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you are a Broncos fan, but if, you're, if, if, you, could, if you could put yourself in the position of the Broncos, where they are right now, would you trade the fifth pick overall for Kirk Cousins straight up if you felt like and and by, there would have to be some sort of framework worked out in advance where this would make the most where where all the parties involved like in other words the you know Denver can't just get Cousins and then find out oh there's no way I'm going to sign with you I'm going to do this whole free agent thing again next time ha ha you know I doubt you know that um that that would work they'd have to they'd have to have some kind of um something worked out in advance uh, in order for all of this to work but if it could all work out you know the broncos give and and and, uh, washington they give up the 13 and cousins and they get the number four and uh kaiser now again i realize that kaiser is not great value but number four is so you're going to get two prospects you're going to get two and actually you're going to get a a a blue chip quarterback prospect that you're going to and then you're also going to get some insurance with a guy that is 22 years old that's got a year of league experience under the belt you know that's not too bad and kaiser is a pretty good piece for us kaiser is a guy that if we draft uh bayfield he's a guy that i want to have backing him up because he's a guy that has you know experience we might as well build on that we got him under contract do it i'm not for one that really thinks that we need to go get a uh, quarterback mentor unless it could be mccown if it could be McCown, then great. I'm all for it. But we already kind of, you know, if it, it could be if it could be Drago, I think the ship has already sailed on that. So that is probably a far fetched scenario, right? I mean, even me spelling all of it out and talking about the, uh, you know, the likelihood that it could happen, I, you know, I'm I, even I'm not to the point of saying that it will happen or even that it's you know in the neighborhood of possibilities. So. That leads to what I think the most likely scenario, and at present my preferred scenario is, and that is just going ahead and drafting Minka Fitzpatrick, the safety out of Alabama. Now, I understand that Alabama defensive players especially have a stigma because there's so many of them that that, that bomb out when they get to the NFL, even though they look like fantastic prospects. Understand that, but, you know... um, (laughs) There's also been a uh, recently several very good uh, uh, Lauren Landry and uh, you know C.J. Mosley, a couple, a couple of others, very good uh, Alabama players. Jonathan Allen had a solid uh, rookie year. They're, they're guys that are um, that have kind of proven they've kind of broken the mold on that. And but then you've also got the the notion that you don't usually draft safeties that high. I mentioned that Eric Turner went second overall. It, it, safeties typically don't go that high and i think that some people uh don't think that fitzpatrick is a quality enough player to be drafted in that high a position i wouldn't put him in the category of like jamal william or uh, i'm sorry jamal adams last year 
who was who was a player. I mean, if he was available last year, I mean, or, or was available this year, and we had him, I mean, that I'd be ecstatic because he'd be the no doubt about it. Uh, but you know, hey, it's uh, it's what it is. Yeah, he's a, he's a fine young player, and and we didn't get him. But uh, but and, and so I'm not going to say that Fitzpatrick is in that in that uh, mold. But he is, I think, pretty clearly the best safety in the draft. And it just so happens that safety after quarterback is the biggest and I'm really the only real need on the team. I know people disagree with that, and there's other position certainly I would like to fortify I've already said earlier in this cast that I think that Joe Thomas is going to retire so getting a a tackle would be a good idea at some point certainly but as I'm just looking at what we would need in order to compete next year you know safety and quarterback basically it and so the best safety in the draft would be available to us there but then also the drop off to the next best safety in this class this is kind of the point the the safety pool is not that deep this year after it being very deep last year and we you know went spent a very high pick on on Jabril Peppers well presumably uh the peppers at the the free angel you know lining up in the parking lot experiment is over with and if he's if he's going to be on the field hopefully we'll put him at strong safety and then we would put an actual free safety at free safety and that would be uh Fitzpatrick and that, so that is where right now my my hope lies and resides that that is what we decide to do because if we put him in the secondary and we put Mayfield at quarterback, you know unless there is a rash of injuries, we're 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 going to be a winning team next year. I don't even think that Hugh Jackson and I'm saying I don't even think I'm not saying any declarative statements here so the jinx doesn't affect. I, but I don't even think that Hugh Jackson could screw that up. And I also look, in the back of my mind, I also kind of think that maybe there could have been possibly a little bit of just maybe some you know, tanking shenanigans going on. I mean, there's just so many things about this last season that you look at and you just scratch your head. Why on earth would we do this in this situation? Do that in that situation? Well, it's almost unbelievable, but it's almost believable if, 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 if. Well, I'm not going to uh, talk about that any further anyway because we have come to the end of this broadcast. I um I just um you know I, I hadn't talked to y'all in a while. I felt like it was necessary to do so, and so I uh, just sat down and ripped off uh, an hour and a half um, without talk, without stopping. And, and honestly, I did not stop this entire time. There's one part where I had to stop and sneeze, so I edited that out. But that was it. This was uh, this whole time, all the way through. And the the show prep that I did for this was to sit down and write the first, uh, not even paragraph, of my Sunday article, and realize that you know what, I really, I just need to come out and I need to vent you people. And and, it, and the idea was is that I was going to talk about what I was going to write about, which is going to be basically position by position where we are on the team and what the options are in free agency. And I didn't even get to the starting point of touching on that. So if you are hearing this before getting to the article, that's what the article will be this Sunday, Easy Likes Sunday morning, uh, about the uh, the state of the Browns and where we are um, you know, both on the roster, what we have to look forward to as free agency possibilities, and of course, who is available in the draft and where we are picking at those various positions. Well, I very much appreciate you uh, spending this time with me. As always, I, I love you people, and I always um, just... It, it, it warms my heart whenever I had more more people listen to the as an aside more people listen to the the last 
uh, program, the the Steelers game show, than than anyone, any any than ever than any any broadcast we've ever done. I, I just, it just it just warmed my heart, even though I was probably way more aggressive than I needed to be. But um, but you know, I just felt like. Um, I felt like I just needed to be just brutally honest with you there, just like I always need to. And I don't think that I, I, I was too off-putting for uh, for too many of you. In fact, I think I probably was reflective of a lot of your own thoughts as that horrible, horrible, horrible 2017 season. Now in the books, it just stung a bit. But I'm going to try to get on a better schedule to talking with you wonderful folks. And uh, in, in the meantime, and by the way, somebody has just done this, so please feel encouraged to do so. Send me an email, easyweave at gmail.com, if you would like to participate participate and do your own thing here on the network and uh troy brother i uh sorry that i haven't um, been more uh, responsive but i'm gonna get back with you and we're going to get this whole thing uh, up and going with uh, new programs and everybody else scott and robo you guys are coming back on whether you like it or not you're going to come back on soon uh we're going to do a square table here pretty soon with all the guys so g and t finney you guys get uh you know get get, get ready uh btb you know dude you're you know we're gonna, gonna get you back too and also uh uh uh, uh Artho, uh, that would be Jake from State Farm, is uh, we're gonna get those guys back on, and uh, also Thelonious, you know, he's he's great, he's he's been hanging in there, gotta love, 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 absolute <laughs> bottom of my heart, you know, overflowing love for Thelonious, he's my dude, um, and uh, you know, we'll get Matt Raymer back on, we'll get everybody back on here. Uh, back for you know, it's just it's 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 an adjustment period. It's an adjustment period for all of us. But if you like to do your own thing, you know, be a part of what we're doing here. Jump on, get involved for draft season. Look, this is the most important draft of our lifetimes, 2018, people. So it's time for us to batten down the hatches and to get excited about this because this is uh, this is the time. This is the time to be alive. So I, uh, with that, I um, you know, I never do voices. I should probably do voices at some point. But anyway, with that. I appreciate you. I love you. I do. I do. I, I have to. If I didn't, if we didn't love each other, you know, I mean, it's it's all it's all about the labor of love here when it comes to uh, to this franchise. But uh, I love y'all. Have a wonderful uh, week, day, month. Uh, hope hope that you are just you know experiencing hordes and hordes and hordes of uh, of, of of goodness and prosperity out there. And uh, just just uh, you know, until next time, just uh, you know, be be great out there. Take care. Good luck. God bless. Sir. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.